0: And on this episode, I am blessed to be joined by the one and only Ben Williams.
1: It took a year to get clean, get fit enough, get past medicals to even be considered. There was a lot of people which, along that year of getting clean. You know, I was ditching the social group. I was changing. I was like, you're going to be a Marine. You, you fucking look at the state of you. I'm here. I'm at the gate. And that that's a big thing. And, you know... Lots of people seem quite scared and worried and I was excited. I'm at nine years and then I'm looking at Special Forces career and then the doctor's going, you're going to be a civilian, mate. And that was it, this sort of, fuck, what do I do? So business world I look at, even in sport, I've worked quite closely you know, elite sports teams and it's how often are you subjecting them to pressure away from what they're used to? And that's what drew me towards doing more entrepreneurship you know going into entrepreneurship was I wanted to have an impact start standing side by side to these people as opposed to sitting below them and thinking they're better than you and but just from my journey in life so far to my mid-30s it's all come from belief I believe I will pass the test I believe I'll become a commando I believe I will build my business to an exit I believe my family will be safe and well
0: welcome to another episode of big risk energy On this podcast, we talk to an amazing range of people. We talk to these people about risk. Risk they've taken in their lives, risk they've taken in their careers, when they paid off and when they didn't. Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on. It's a privilege. So we had one of my favorite ever first conversations with someone I've ever spoken to. It's probably like six, seven months ago now, something like that. and. You know, your backstory is so inspirational and I know that it's something you've spoken about at length and I am going to make you speak about it today. Um, Just because I think, you know, one of the things I love about this podcast is in life, I think we need to see things to believe them. You know, we need to see that there are people who have beaten the odds, who have defied everything stacked against them to get where they are because someone will hear that, someone will see that, someone will listen and say, wow, I can do that you know, and ultimately I think it's the responsibility of people who have done those amazing things to be a shining light and to inspire as many as possible. So you, when you told me your story and, and, you know, seeing the podcast you've been on previously, I was inspired, you know, and, and I think you are such an inspirational character, man. I don't, I don't say that a lot. So thank you so much for coming on. And I would love to just get to, you know, where it started. Obviously, I want to talk about Lupin as well. But tell us a bit about your backstory and how you've ended up as an entrepreneur.
1: I thought you said we had 45 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) I'll wind it into two. Um, Yeah, I spoke about it at length. I think uh, I love the word responsibility. You know, it's the correct word to use, especially as you begin to find your feet somewhere or you've experienced something, whether that's good or bad is to be able to share that. And it is a responsibility. And I actually see it as a responsibility as a sort of male. You know, I'll come on to my background shortly. Um, But uh, I do believe that being a male, maybe seen with stigma as an alpha male from where I come from, which is the military, that we have a responsibility to share our good times, but as much, if not more, our bad times, because it does inspire. And yeah, my, my, my backstory is sort of up and down. It's... Everyone's had their own rocky road. I'm not the kind of broken wing story person. It's my my story is worse than everyone else's. Yeah. You know, family didn't go to plan in the early days and uh, my parents split up and it wasn't the best break. And we moved around a lot, a lot of schools, lots of change of faces. And, um, you know, my mum finding a partner who didn't really sort of step us up as a father figure that my brother and I needed at the time. And I found myself sort of a bit of a lost, bewildered child where, you know, I thought I knew it all. Mm -hmm. And I know one of your final questions is quite a hard hitter, so I'll save that answer. But I thought I knew it all, um, but I knew nothing. And I also had no real direction of where I wanted to go. And really interestingly, when I was sort of six, seven, uh, you know, my kid's age now, I, I was the guy with the stick and the cam cream and wanting to be in the military and running around. I loved it. And part of Divorce Weekends, as I now sort of categorise them as, was when we went to see Dad, he would take us to military museums. And there's no there's no military background in our family apart from one person. I think it's just where he took us to shut us the fuck up. <laughs> and one of those places was the Royal Marines Museum in Portsmouth. I remember just being besotted by these images of these people, these... Heroes, these warriors. And that was my calling, you know, that for someone else that might not be. But for me, it was like, wow. And it wasn't about war or blood or brutality. Mm. It was about earning something very elite. And even at sort of seven years old, I could understand that. And that's where I wanted to go. Um, But I lost that dream. I lost that focus as I went through all the school changes. And when you can't fit in properly, and I didn't help myself. You know, I was a heavy metal fan. I painted my nails black, had spiky hair. So I was never going to fit in properly. I was with the dweebs in the memorial garden and that's where I ended up. And (laughs) that's fine. I was part of the dweeb gang for a while. Um, But to try and fit in, I sort of tried to take on a different route was, well, people were smoking, people were smoking weed and doing stupid shit. So I started to join in on that and that kind of got me noticed and, that gets you in with the sort of cooler crowd, if you can call it that. Um, But I didn't have control over using any of that type of stuff. And I I smoked more and more weed. And then I was coming towards the end of school. And I kind of just wanted to fuck off and just do my own thing. And, you know, fair play. I've got a really tight, close relationship with my Mm mum. And she was like, just at least finish sick form or do something useful like that and then see what you want to do. Because I wasn't going to go uni or travel the world. And I probably wasn't going to be a bricklayer either or anything like that. I just didn't know what to do. And so I went into sixth form. And then as I started to progress through sixth form, I started to do weights. And I was doing quite a bit of boxing at the time. And I was getting a little bit wrapped up into the alpha Mm -hmm. (laughs) version of someone or trying to be alpha. And um, that led to one book and another book. And it was The Craze and it was Lenny McLean. And I was watching too much of the wrong sort of stuff you should be watching that age. And then I just had this idea that I was going to be a bouncer. Uh, I'm in sick form. Yeah. And I'm not a big lad. You know, when I say weights, (laughs) I mean I'm not big. (laughs) But I wanted to be in that. Mm. I wanted to be thrown into that and gain respect and be seen as that person. Um, And I followed it. You know, 17 and a half years old, I, I did some course to get a badge. And then bang on my 18th birthday, I was on the door. Wow. Yeah, and it was a real eye-opener. Um, yeah. I basically spent every weekend getting the shit kicked out of me for quite some time. Where where
0: was this? Where in the country? This is explaining? Bedford as well. Right.
1: So it's got its rep. Um, and then I started to, I suppose, be good at the job. I started using it as a proper job. Mm-hmm. And I was working five nights out of the seven nights a week. And I was getting more and more wrapped up in the wrong things. I was getting bigger. I was starting to abuse steroids. And that's where drugs really took over and I was, you know, confiscating cocaine and using it for myself and
0: how old are you at this age? Still like nineteen, twenty or yeah, I've left sick form yeah. and
1: started Yeah, this is it for me now. I'm gonna be a full time bouncer apparently. Um and then yeah, I moved to Milton Keynes. I started working a lot of the doors in Milton Keynes. I got sort of knowing in that area, hanging out with the wrong people. Um and then it all went wrong, unfortunately, on on a particular evening uh someone there was a fatality in the nightclub and everyone was arrested for murder and then um it all went very south and unfortunately I was caught up in that, you know, no one was guilty but it was treated like that until it was found not guilty. Mm. And we went through, you know, manslaughter and all those horrible things and I remember thinking, fucking hell, I'm in deep here. Mm. Really deep. And all those people in my life who'd been like, Mate, is this the right thing for you to do? were suddenly right. Uh and unfortunately, you know, there's now a bereaved family and all those horrible things and uh, I was just in so deep, that lost me my job, naturally. Mm. I didn't have anything to work towards, and my life just sort of spiralled out of control at that point. Um, Drugs became the go-to. That was the escape, Uh, and further on down there, I just started to slip into quite a dark world, and that dark world led to not wanting to be here anymore. And then just on the sort of luck of a day when I was sort of down and out and thinking maybe this is the day where I should take my own life, um I saw an advert for the Royal Marines and it was you know I'm not a fate believer um, uh, I've been in the odd situation where I don't think fate got me out of it I think it was luck we can come on to those but um I looked at it and thought god if there's a calling there's that's a calling right mm. now get a fucking grip yourself now and that was it 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 was no like I'm sober moment mm-hmm. there was no like I'm super fit here I go It took a year to get clean, get fit enough, get past medicals to even be considered. Yeah. But what it gave me was a purpose. And it took me back to that inspiration that young boy had at seven years old, which I felt I was indebted to him. You know, he got me there. It wasn't the 18-year-old tough doorman. It was the the young seven-year-old who follows their dream. And I took that little boy's ethos and, you know, a year later from deciding I was going to join the Marines. I arrived at the gates of the Commando training center. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And clearly though, you have something within you that said, no, I'm not going to give up. You know, I'm not going to go down the route, which so many people don't come back from, right? Mm. For every, you know, one story there is of someone who turns their life around. There are a hundred stories of people who go to the bottom of the barrel. And I've had great friends who've gone to the bottom of the barrel and not come back. Mm. You know, so there, there's clearly a mentality within you that, whether it was the Marines, whether whatever it might have been, but that that thing inside you which was awakened at this point by an advert for that, mm. clearly there's a mentality within you that that knew that you could go to the heights and achieve what you wanted to.
1: Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because I think it brings you on to setting up a business and entrepreneurship. I suppose we'll talk about it shortly. Is and this is all about risk? This podcast is. Well, the risk is you carry on going the way you're going and you end up at the bottom of that barrel. And I've, like yourself, many friends have done it. And, it, you know, worse so, Marines that I know have done it, mm. um, where they've got that mindset and yet they even still reach a point where they can't be here anymore. And I think my moment of the internal struggle was you ha- the realisation that I actually had quite a lot going for me and being able to tap into that as a resource as mm. opposed to, I've got a lot going for me. I'm throwing it all away and turning it into a, well, I've got not much left to lose right now, so why not fucking turn it into something pretty useful? Um, And there was a lot of people along that year of getting clean. You know, I was ditching the social group. I was changing. I was like, you're going to be a Marine. You you fucking look at the state of you." And I I never did it to prove people wrong, but that was an energy. Mm. That was a fuel. That was a,
0: all right, yeah, of course. Right. Everyone's got their drivers. And I think yeah. uh, all the most successful people I've spoken to, everyone has got a mix of wanting better and something to prove to someone yeah. uh, or to themselves, but something to prove for sure. I think it's it's
1: for me, it was to myself. Yeah, it was to myself. And I always say this, that one of the proudest days of my military career, I did 10 years in the Marines mm-hmm. and the one of the proudest days was the day I joined. You know, the day I walked through the gates with an ironing board in a shit cheap suit with a shaved head, rabbit in headlights thinking, oh, this is going to be fucking hard work. I looked around and I thought, wow, I'm here. I, I'm I've made it further than so many other people have ever made it just to get to the gate. Now I have 32 weeks to not fail or get injured. Uh, and there's other statistics around that. But I'm here. I'm at yeah. the gate. And that, that's a big thing. And, you know. Lots of people seem quite scared and worried, and I was excited. And I was like, I am at the Commando Training Centre. There's only one in the world. It's got a huge amount of respect within the military, sure. and I'm here. And I think that became a bit of fuel for me for quite a while within Commando Training. It soon eats into you, and you regret every decision you made, <laughs> and it's shit. And when you're sat in Wales, and it's raining, and you're just looking at a sheep at two yeah. o'clock in the morning, you're questioning every fucking decision you've made... Um you look in your bank balance is it's just as bad as a startup founder's bank balance. You're like, this is <laughs> shit. So you're in good stead for the next part of the journey then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, always bootstrapping. Yeah.
0: But out of interest, you know, when you are in those really tough moments in training, and I can imagine, you know, I can only imagine the not just the you know, the mental element of it, but the physical endurance that you have to go through and, and breaking down every single barrier you have in order to be that person. How much are you able to draw on your experience from those darkest days and be like, well, if I can get through that, I can do this?
1: It's really interesting. I was talking to one of the Stride VC lot last year, mm-hmm. Gabby. I caught up with him recently as well about this. And I talked about, he said, you must be breezing through this founder life. And I was like, no, it's literally the hardest thing I think I've ever done. Wow. And, he, and he called bullshit. He was like, bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's not bullshit because the the stress and the adversity you're exposed to within a training simulated environment or a operational environment which is very different um but both are stress that you're encountering in in acute ways so mm-hmm. it's like this is happening this is extremely stressful your adrenaline state's being tested beyond belief physically mentally you're you're pushed um whether that like i said is peacetime or in the face of battle when you look at the startup world or business, that stress state not acute, it's prolonged, it's continuously on, you're always thinking about it at night, you're always worrying about the next paycheck for everyone, you're worried about that runway, What what's that customer think of the product, your stress levels, your adrenaline, your cortisol is always getting released and for me, the military, and I, I don't mind saying this on startup and founder podcasts and when we're talking about business. I've got the right to say that I felt like the military was easier in a way to what we do now. Um, and that's just because of how your your body is under, and your mind is under so much stress at the moment. But going back to that point around, it doesn't mean that's harder or easier, but mm. it's more prolonged, I think, outside in the civilian world. But in the military, what they're doing is they're exposing you to yourself again and again and again. Uh, and those limitations that you think you have, they can push you further past them and, and Onwards to another level that you never thought existed. And that's the bit I draw on now where, yeah, this is shit. I'm trying to get term sheets signed, and everyone's saying, no, or they want it for this, or they want it for that, or is customers moving away. Doesn't matter. It's something that ne- tomorrow I'll be able to just slightly reset and then go again. And mm-hmm. the military taught me that ability, which is useful.
0: That's so interesting. And does the military teach you the ability to almost disregard your thoughts? in the sense of you think that's where the barrier is, you think that's where the hurdle, or the wall that you can't go past, uh, but obviously the body can go past it. The, the brain gives up before the body, mm-hmm. right? How much can you utilise that now in a startup environment? You're like, you know, don't listen to those thoughts, get through, keep on battling. Do you see that the, the uh, relevance there?
1: Yeah, I think it's more regular in this startup world than it probably was in the military. Um, I think... We call it exposure equals composure, so the more you're exposed to, well, anything, you know, too much success breeds bad habits, Um, a lot of adversity is going to push you in the right direction, but too much is going to push you over the edge, you know, the more we expose ourselves to things, the more we learn, but we call it exposure equals composure in in the military, in the Marines especially, that the more you expose a young recruit to a difficult environment, and then feedback to them and teach them and mentor them within that situation and just after the situation they're going to learn and they're learning under control and then when you come to combat you know my first experience of combat when I got shot at I fucking hid and didn't do anything correct and you learn from that very quickly and go that was the wrong thing to do that's the wrong tactic that's not what we're trained to do you're trained to do this and you can't some are just equipped and adapt to that situation very quickly. Most people go, shit, someone's trying to fucking kill me. Yeah,
0: I I, I would be hiding. Yeah, there's just <laughs> like a
1: bend-shaped hole in the compound next to us. Um, But the next time it happens, you're just slightly more composed under the stress and the intensity of it. And then, you know, before you know it, going down the road, you're quite composed around it all. And it's not the point of composure where you just stood there and be like, well, nothing's going to hit me now. It's mm. the point of composure that you can deal with the challenge that you're facing the ability to think under pressure and stress and fatigue and the military in training builds that up within you to the point where you then have to go and operate it mm. and I think in startup world it's very much like okay well the investors have said this or the board think this they're not gonna kill me for a start. <laughs> and yeah,
0: very few investors, yeah. There, yeah. There's, <laughs> yeah. A couple. There's a couple. Yeah, yeah, if you if they're on the board
1: you've s- signed the wrong person. <laughs> um but it it you do sort of compose yourself around that my first board meeting, I was sweating and I didn't know what to do and I'm like, Oh so fucking numbers are here and yeah, all sorts yeah. of shit. And then come the you know, the last few they were even like that, but they were just slightly more composed and I think you're dealing with such difficult stuff in a startup as well. Everything's broken. Yes. Nothing's right. Everything's negative. So the stuff you're reporting is shit. So you got to deal with that pressure of the awkward questions and that challenge. So
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's there's so much um, super interesting stuff in that Ben. One thing that I always remember reading about um, when I was studying this because I, I I was actually I studied international conflict. I'm fascinated by by that side of things, and one of the Things I wish I'd learned more around was that the fear violence nexus, Mm. and essentially this idea that you can have in training scenarios, people who are incredibly accurate, they're amazing at that. But as soon as you put them into a combat environment, because of this very very deep biological fear violence, i.e. the ability to actually execute violence against the person, or you know the fear of of you know death of being hit totally changes for many people their ability to be effective in those environments Mm. so out of interest is that something that you saw that you might have someone who's amazing in training but then actually when push comes to shove it doesn't doesn't really work that way and and how do you think that sort of you know seeing the difference between the training environment and the real life one and then you know doing the the board prep and then executing in the board meeting Right. Because I see that a lot As people who are like, great. Yeah. And the one to one that you put them loose into, you know, the high pressure environment and all the training in the world disappears. Yes.
1: Yeah, that coping mechanism, isn't it? Under stress and um, that pressure. And I think uh, there's that imposter that's often there as well within a training environment is quite secure. You know, if they're under your wing, they are been mentored by you and it's in the environment, the comfort zone, as we call it. If they're in the comfort zone all the time and then they're exposed to a challenging environment that they're not used to and they're not experienced it much before, mm. that's when you're going to see them fall apart quite a bit. And and this is the thing that kind of I wince when I go into other companies and whether that's putting looping in or just talking to them and running workshops. is like how often are you exposing your people to discomfort? Not very regularly. Mm. And that's not. That's not a fault of a company. I think there's a real lack of understanding of how do you create high performance, and high performance stems from resilience and often failure. And what you want to be doing, like again, exposure equals composure, you want to subject people to talking to a group of people or a team that they don't regularly speak to. Like, oh, shit, people are looking at me, they're judging me, Mm. Oh, I'm trying to remember something. But you do it, again, in a controlled environment where they're uncomfortable, but it's not going to hinder their career or it's not going to all fall apart. And then, as you progress them, you can then put them into a challenge environment where they are in front of the board or they are talking to someone which they didn't think they'd be talking to and there are stakes that's the difference where stakes are present they're not st- they're not present, but you can create stakes all the time. you mm. can create those environments where people they feel like they're being judged. Public speaking is the best place to start um again, how do you do it in the marines like you're always subjecting people in training to these these perceived military environments but we also did things like hot topics where uh-huh. you could stand up and you are you going to talk about a helmet for 10 minutes unprepared and you stand up in front of 30 marines on a course and you're like that can't be easy it's not <laughs> the mark five helmet uh, goes on your head and does and is ballistic and you just cut and everyone's like boring and they're judging you and it's shit and it's four apart but it's controlled mm. and and we do that for a reason because it's not just about you know yomping and being fatigued and then shooting and doing your job it's also about being able to just cope with pressure yeah and so business world i look at even in sport i've worked quite closely you know elite sports teams and it's how often are you subjecting them to pressure away from what they're used to and that's where you see that performer and so in the military we did that a lot so when the shit hit the fan more often than not you'd see people step forward Mm -hmm. and not cower away and that was the Marines' attitude. You know, there are other regiments which aren't exposed to warfare as much as the Marines are. So when it happens, they're way out of their comfort zone, don't know how to deal with the situation and fall apart. You can't blame them. And you can't blame the people on your team. It's about finding them a way to go from your comfort zone to a discomfort, controlled discomfort, and growing with that. And it's that's within everyone. But you are right. There are those people which just completely fall apart and those
0: that excel. Uh, it's fascinating, though, that that exposure piece is so key. And, and I love the idea of how do you expose people within, you know, their usual comfort zone to really step out of that. And I, I think that's uh, an amazing way of looking at it. I mean, how big is the team now at Lupin and, and how much are you finding all these leadership skills that you've amassed over time is really, you know, coming home to roost with the, the, the business you've got now?
1: Oh yeah that's an interesting one we've g- We've gone through our ups and downs we've we've kept the team quite small mm-hmm. um sort of with sort of six seven people mm-hmm. at the moment we We were bigger we had to make some moves like many other businesses unfortunately did um I feel it's been one of the hardest leadership curves I've ever experienced in leading civilians but just diverse civilians where mm. you know not just um culturally diverse but skill set diverse I, I come from a world where it it is very alpha male there's, there's no hiding from that um there is a particular way to talk to an alpha male there's a particular way to lead an alpha male uh, and also it's an environment it's a An organisation where it's mission focused, it's objective focused, it's very values heavy, Mm. whereas we have that in our business and many other businesses have that, but it's not something that people would go and get tattooed into their skin, like you would find with Marines and other people, like mine's under my jumper here. it, it's less so it's career-based people are stepping stone i want to be in a startup and then i want to go do a growth and then i want to do this and so you're dealing with lots of different things and i think that was the strangest thing for me to get to grips with in terms of like are you not all here to like shed blood and tears and yeah not sleeping are you here We're to not get all dying for this yeah yeah, yeah okay. so that was um that's tested me but one of the one of the best things that's happened is one of our investors, our original investors, bought a coach with him. And he said, as part of me investing, the only caveat I have for investing into the business is that you have coaching. Wow. And you have executive coaching. And so I've been working with an executive coach, which he brought in, and, you know, a really, really good coach, Liz, who's in top of Barclay Card, Visa, and that's is a awesome. proper executive coach. He pays for her, um, and she gives us, you know, gives me a couple of weeks a a month twice a month to work on what's been going wrong how can I change this how can I be better with my team because I know we'll grow over the next year I you know if looping goes well for what we're sat on now it could be quite a big organization and knowing my limitations and when do I as a CEO step aside and put a a new CEO in place Mm. and where's that inflection point for me and learning to be humble and understanding how civilians operate differently to marines you know when we're overdue on a sprint you just can't take them outside and thrash them to a fucking yes almost can dying. that
0: wouldn't be great for <laughs> retention yeah hr on your case
1: um, so it's about helping me transition those true leadership qualities from that operational military environment and applying yeah. it to business and and that has been a huge growth curve for me
0: i think it's amazing that you speak about coaching and i think it's uh, such an important one because you know we've discussed this before about the brutal realities of the founder journey mm. and i think a lot of time founders feel like they have to be this all-knowing you know just never questioning never showing the single sign of of um, yeah, you know, potential lack of, of understanding for what they're doing. But I have a coach, I have a therapist, you have a coach. Most most of the most effective CEOs, entrepreneurs I know, have those support systems. We don't talk about it enough. And I think it's uh, it's great to hear that, that you've been using one and found that valuable. And that's amazing of an investor to have that. Out of interest, was that investor an ex-entrepreneur themselves?
1: Yeah, he's one of the Adyen team. Yeah, so he'd done his big IPOs. He'd done very well himself. Um, most, they all say it, don't they? It's lonely at the top. Mm. Or lonely in the middle. Yeah, lonely, <laughs> so lonely in the sandwich. Yeah, exactly. lonely in the sandwich. Um, and having a coach, I found, has really helped sort of frame things and change a perspective on stuff. Because it is easy to be like, how fucking dare they question me on that? And it's very, as my, I'm a hothead, you know. I, I've done a lot of coaching and training to, not fly off the handle yeah and try and keep my calm with people and um thankfully i'm proud of that you know i've
0: got I was gonna to say to you, you, you're the calmest person in the room as far as i can tell <laughs> it's like. under the table
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's uh she's worked with me to work on my characters and i love this principle that at first i laughed about it like this village in your head And I was like, what, the village people? I genuinely looked at them as Indians, cowboys and, you know, all that stuff. She's like, no, you idiot. Um, You have different characters in your head. And and the one which was leading me for too long was this quite aggressive, hot-headed, you know, stereotypical, not great person. And um, she found a way to give that person a voice but put them to the side and park them Mm. and, and let them be present but also bring someone else forward. And it also really helped me drop my um, imposter syndrome, which was I'm not an executive. I'm not the suit. But she found that person within me to be able to come forward. And he doesn't dress in a suit, but he has the attitude of that person in a suit. And that's been the big growth thing for me to come forward and understand now how do I help my team do that and lead the business forward.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I love that um, idea of bringing out that character and personifying it and just seeing it for what it is and being able to not remove it, but just address it in right. that way. I think that's such a powerful technique. And it always fascinates me, like the overlap between coaching and therapy.
1: Mm. Like it,
0: for, for me, my executive coach sessions are almost like therapy sessions. I don't, I don't know if you found the same. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. it's really, really interesting on that part. Um, So from, from military to business owner, what was that initial switch like and and what made you take that that leap
1: well i had done 10 years of risk um and you know i had done my operational tours uh on one particular tour i was blown up and injured and i lost some of my hearing in it so i spent quite a bit of my career hiding my hearing and my whole journey i wanted to go special forces i didn't want i had no if you said to me years ago "Oh, you are going to be running an AI or a a company that's leveraging AI to do X, Y and Z and you're going to be selling to these markets I'd have gone fuck off (laughs) this is where I'm going and my ambition was to go down the SBS route and you know follow that path and injury prevailed and unfortunately I tore my Achilles and then the second time my my hearing was found out to not be very good because I'd changed the test and I was at my almost almost 10 year point I'm at nine years and then I'm looking at special forces career and then the doctor's going you're gonna be a civilian mate and that was it this sort of fuck what do I do and I think I'd been exposed to such sort of stressful states and ups and downs that I was kind of ready not to just step from the military into a comfortable job I didn't want to work for a system anymore ironically i do now because i have investors and i've got yeah. my own business so it's probably more political than i expected but it's still within my control yeah and um when i was leaving the marines sort of six 12 months before leaving i worked with england football and that opened up a door for me where i got to know the players i got to know gareth quite well and i I thought there's there's something in the way we think as Marines that can be transferred here, and it's mm-hmm. not what everyone thinks it is, where it's like, I'm a leader, I'm going to tell you how to lead, or we're going to go on activity days, and you're going to get wet and cold, and that's going to teach you resilience. I was more around the culture and the values of how we operate and how you can then bring some of that across to bring into your high performance. And what does resilience really look like? And exposure because composure is exactly that. You just submit people to it in different ways. So... um. I picked up all my coaching qualifications and teaching qualifications so I'm going to use these so I was working with recruits at the time and I just set up a little business and this was a terrible business you know like I had two clients one's my mum and now she was free and then uh, someone else I was doing workshops for um it was called Williams Elite love it the logo was a puzzle piece and on the back was me with a weapon and <laughs> yeah. I was like Yes, I found it the other day. I was like, "Fucking hell, was this my first business card?" That's amazing. <laughs> it's like it's here's incredible. the puzzle and here's a gun. <laughs> um, but what more do you need? What fucking what more do you that's need? It, you're done. Do you know what the, the irony of that as well? When was it? A year or t- a year later into doing that, no one gives a shit about your card. They they buy you, and that's what I started to realize. You know, take yeah. off the tie, don't wear the shirt necessarily. Just be you, and we um uh Tom and my business partner uh, and I won a contract with HSBC coaching and we can believe our luck it was a six figure contract for the two of us to go in and teach 3000 employees around mindset in groups wow and i remember thinking they're going to find out soon <laughs> i don't know what they're going to find out but they're going to find out we shouldn't be delivering this national engaged program and um yeah low six figures but it's above where we ever got to in our any career. And I was like, shit. And um, the head of people rang us up one day. He's like, I've got some questions. I was like, Fuck, this is the moment they're going to find us out. Or was
0: this before you delivered
1: it? This isn't far off the start line. Fuck. <laughs> like, shit. Hang on. Have we got their signature yet? No. <laughs> Fuck. And he, he said, uh, we were having a chat. And it was all great. It was fine. It was all good. And then his last question was, I've got a question about your logo. Because we've moved on from the puzzle piece. And guns were now on a helmet, a Spartan helmet with a laurel around it and an arrow going through it. And he was like, yeah, just a quick one. Your logo's in front of me on my desk. Don't I have to look like a security, security team? I was like, is that what you see? And he was just like, yeah, I've not really looked into it before. But yeah, just if you wanted my perception. I was like, fucking hell. So it was a, it was a massive wake-up call to, okay, I need to learn this thing called branding and marketing. But also a huge piece of it was people aren't buying my business card they're not buying the website or the logo they're buying me Mm. and they're buying Anthony Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Uh, and that really helped us go on our journey to understand you know get in a room and have a conversation with someone they'll they'll buy your product Mm. and you deliver them a great service for that reason and that's what drew me towards doing more entrepreneurship you know going into entrepreneurship was I wanted to have an impact it's not about becoming wealthy for me mm. you know that's a byproduct and I suppose we can talk about that but it's about having an impact I want to see people who use our products I want mm. someone to ring me or email me and go fucking hell what you said last week really helped me consider this challenge I was facing and it's things like that that's the true identity of creating a real business and you're solving problems for people and mm-hmm. you're providing solutions and in return they pay you money for it and that's what I really saw and I think there's just this embedded probably psychopath which just doesn't want to settle for normal either and just wants to go out and do scary things
0: i I mean i think you make such an incredible point especially for this audience you know of entrepreneurs founders investors as well one of the things that i see you know a lot of businesses fail to get out the gates on is they don't realize how much it is about them Mm. you know you can be in i call it the collateral trap Right. Making three million amendments to your deck at pre-seed. Right. And going around and getting advice. Oh, should I put this slide here? It's about you. It's about you. And people need to realize that at the earliest stage, obviously, once you're post product and post revenue, then there are other things that come into that equation. But at the start, it is all about you and your co-founder or team, whatever it might be. And I think that's one of the reasons why people um, you know, immediately saw the value in you and what you guys are doing because of how much credibility you have.
1: Yeah, I, th- uh, I think for me, one of the big values that's ta- drummed into you as a Marine is humility. And I think that's been my biggest struggle is to come out the military and talk about your experiences and and stay humble with them. But you know, let people know what mm. you've done and, and how it can help them as well and you know not in a name dropping way but to to go on Stephen Bartlett's podcast I went in through his door in his living room and I was just like alright, like hands in pocket uh, way different to Simon Sinek and Ant Middleton and all the other people that he has walked through that door just me yeah. and uh, we did the podcast and then afterwards I, I had to ask him I think I, I said this before I smirked I was like you ran out of guests, didn't you? Because it was was in and around COVID. And he was like, no, he smiled and winced with it. I was like, yeah, you did. You run out of A-list, you brought the Z-list in. And he was like, no, I'm going to stop you there. And he was quite blunt on it. He's like, you've got a great story, much like other people have, and people deserve to hear it, and you deserve to tell it. And it did did sort of stop me in my track having a joke around it, where I left and thought, "Hmm. okay, he's got a point. Like, it's not just me. There's I want to go and find other people out there who have similar stories and can tell it to someone else. And that's ultimately where we're now going with our product is doing that through technology and Mm. helping other people, which we can come on to, share more of their content, share more of their thinking. Mm. And that, for me, was a big wake-up call to go, start standing side-by-side to these people as opposed to sitting below them and thinking they're better than you and not thinking you're ever better than them, but you have the right to be in the room. And I think more and more people should have that respect for themselves. Um, men and women, you know, we talk about suicide at the start. You know, that's because a lot of people have a lot of lacking self belief that they deserve to be around a group of people or they're missing that environment that they should be part of. Find your way into it and get into it and enjoy being there. You learn so much, you grow so much, it gives you so much. And then you can go to another group and learn even more. And I just see so many people walking around in their bubbles these days where. They're missing out on so much around them and then blaming themselves for missing it. And you just think you have the right to be in those groups of whoever that is. Go be around those people. Enjoy it.
0: Yeah. I, I think you've put that perfectly. And, and it goes back to what we were saying before we started, which is people need to see it to believe it. You know, that's why the, you know, especially what you guys are doing with Lupin, the ability to to really amplify these stories it is so important because the amount of people that i know who have heard a story and it's captured them it's inspired them it's something which speaks to them and says oh wait i look like that or that's my background and look where they've gone when i think i've got no options that is genuinely how we change the world if we believe that we're part of a system where you know elites control the way that things operate and i think there is a lot to be said for that Mm -hmm. the way that we can change the world is to inspire people on a micro level on an individual level to say you can make a change by just taking control and realizing what you can achieve when someone's laid out a path for you already on this so i think it's super powerful but for everyone's benefit tell us about how lupin's helping with that
1: Mm. yeah that's uh you know what it's like in a startup it's sort of changes every single day doesn't it the the genesis of Lupin was working in that coaching environment after the marines and and being around teams um, in and out sport in business seeing how they function the dysfunction uh, and how there was a lot of technology but a lot of legacy technology of measuring engagement and morale and and how people feel and then over here you've got L&D and it's like L&D never talk to engagement and vice versa Um and we saw this problem between managers and employees and the disconnect and then how much of an impact that positive or negative but it's an impact that manager can have on the employees and the organization and you have top co and you have senior leadership sort of filtering down information objectives mission where we're we heading then you have the management layer and then you have although that's very thick and highly leveled but you have a management layer and then you have employees um and there was there was this fascinating statistic at the moment there's 2.4 million i think it's more now but it's around 2.4 million unskilled or accidental managers in the workplace wow And these are the people who are actually, these are the catalysts for change in a business. They're either going to drive it in a great way or they're going to fuck it because (laughs) they don't want to do it or they're not showing how to do it. Mm. And then 75% of people leave the organization because of their manager. Um, There's huge well-being statistics, engagement, productivity, retention, absenteeism, it's all related to that relationship between the manager and employees. So we looked at this and thought, how can you fix this? How can you make it better? And it's a massive problem we decided to take on, which was, why don't we use a form of social connection, where people share how they are, whether that's privately or openly, or um, only with their co workers. And you use that as a sentiment analysis. And then you, you apply that to essentially generative AI that provides learning tools, Um, advice uh, knowledge resources for the manager that they can use in bite-sized chunks so rather than having just your HR sheep dip workshop or here's your speaker about leadership Mm -hmm. all right back to your desks and crack on see how you get on and then we will do the next course in six months time you can still do those but you want that void in the middle to be filled with something and technology is a way to do that I don't ever believe a company should never have holistic hands-on training but it should, it should have something more to facilitate what's trying to be taught into that organization. And so using this data that we can bring in and applying it to generative AI, we can create solutions for managers in real time of how to address a problem that might be in their team. So your team's at risk of burnout. Here's three things to do. This is the person to talk to. This is what to do about it. Uh, and this is how we recommend you, you change it tomorrow and it's really simple and you tick box it okay i could do that it's Up to the manager whether they do it or not sure. but at least you're putting it in front of them and you can measure who does it and who doesn't by who ticks what as well so that's like the complicated variation of what we do and and we're deploying it people are paying for it it's a slower harder sell because mm. it's an enterprise model sure um we don't want it to be an enterprise model but we're on that train we work quite a lot of marketing agencies as mm-hmm. well that's a where there's project-based, so recruitment agencies, marketing agencies, ad agencies, um, seen a lot of activity there. But then what fell out the back of Lupin was, oh, hang on, if you're taking data and applying it to generative AI and you're able to feed a model with a load of information, much like what GPT is, and it then spurts out knowledge back to that person, personalised to them, could you then fill that model with someone else's knowledge? so, so we, interesting we took it and we are <laughs> ego aside i've got the books i've got the podcasts, i've got a lot of material so like okay well the nearest person to the business is me who has a lot of content and i'm a coach you know that was my life beforehand let's feed it in and see what happens so we fed it into the model We built into a chat solution and then I'm like hi ben and i'm like hey how are you and like this v- digital version of myself popped up i was like what the fuck um, can you, I've got a team of engineers and they don't seem to buy into values, what would you suggest to me to get them to believe into company values and so it goes through all my books and podcasts wow. and it condenses the information with some insight into how I think and like, if I was you I would apply this is this helpful, blah blah blah, so we trained the model in that way how how real did it feel this is, a, this is the next bit because people are saying to me, well we're going to use AI for therapy and coaching now no, you use it as an AI resource that's attached to what you do so it's not about turning you or me or anyone else into a coach and they never interact with you and you don't be a person you're not near them anymore you're still providing information but what about that coach who goes to business deploy some training leaves what happens in that void before they then come back what if you then create a product where it's fed entirely on what they teach and train you deploy the link and it's under their brand and it could not. It's not necessarily Ben Coach AI. It could be Commando Mindset AI. Yeah, it's a real brand. It's a resource, and you tap into that. Okay, you've just been here a week ago doing some training. You said something about X, Y, and Z. Can you give me more information on that? And you make that content more accessible. It's not going onto the internet. It's not trying to have to find it on YouTube. You're bringing that coach or that facilitator's information to the user. So cool. With with <laughs> so their cool. questions.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. And I mean, when you start thinking about the applications of that, you could apply it to nutritionists, therapists, like anyone in that space, right? Where yeah. it's like I still want to speak to you every week. I want to have that interaction. But if I've got something that I need help with in between that, it's a perfect solution.
1: Well, look at the podcast model. I I've, I've been on loads of podcasts. I'm just starting my own one up now. And I I know there's not gonna be any money in it for a long time, if any. And it's like that for many podcasters. And you have, like, Joe Rogan's, well, I don't know what he's on, he must be on 2000 now, he, he's near there. Something
0: like that, yeah. So
1: to go back and find information yeah. through Joe, I, I, that's a big search ask, like, yes. I'm a bit of a Brian Cox geek, mm-hmm. and so I'm listening to two of the three-hour episodes that he's done with, I'm like, come on, get to the black hole thing. But... That is that is genuinely something that we want to tap into these days. People want to be like, oh, get to the point. Oh, what were those three things you, Ben, talked to you about on your podcast about leadership? Here it is. So you look at that model. The only revenue in podcasts is, subscrip- uh, is um, sponsorship. Yeah, and yeah. if you can get that sponsorship over the line, then you've got to hold that sponsorship and you've got to keep the listenership for that sponsorship. But these people are bringing on incredible content. You're getting amazing people onto your podcast. I want to interact with what they said. I don't want to listen to every single episode mm. again, but I want to condense it. Like, secret leaders, tell me the top 10 entrepreneurs you've had on and bring in fucking three. Yeah. Or, Roy, give me something from your podcast around X, Y, and Z, around risk. And there's a model in that for itself where you can go back to podcasters and say, we'll do your material. Someone's going to do it. Super interesting.
0: I wonder what happens to the long form content off the back of this. Does it gets it just shorter. Become, or does it just become a data source? It's like we do the long form content just to, you know, provide something to go into the, the generative AI. I not because
1: I'm positioned where I am, but yeah. I think it will. Yeah. Because people's attention spans getting shorter and shorter and shorter. The other thing is there's too much noise out there. Mm. So to filter through YouTube, filter through even going through LinkedIn or anywhere is just there's a lot of noise. I want to get to the point, and that's a fair thing to be able to do. I'm I'm very much that I'll listen to the two hour podcast, and I'm probably not going to listen to it again. Yeah, but I want to take the snapshots from that podcast, and I don't want to l- read through the bio on the spot on Spotify. Yes. I just want how does this relate to what I'm doing right now? Or Roy, I'm thinking of starting a startup, and I've listened to the last ten episodes. Can you condense the last ten into three bite sized chunks that I comply to my business today? Done.
0: Yeah, it's super useful. And and you're right, like a lot of the long form stuff that I like, um, I never listen to the long form version of it, you know? It's like like Huberman Labs, right? I love it. But I'm never going to watch four hours of it, because mm. who's got the time for that? But following him on Instagram, where it's condensed down to a minute, and it's super retrievable, obviously not even nearly as retrievable as the way that you're discussing. It is now. Oh, is it?
1: Someone's done his podcast, I think, without his... Sure, yeah. yeah, yeah. Without his heads up. Uh, yeah it's
0: happening. That's uh, super interesting, yeah okay, all right. I've got five questions that I wanna ask you um the first question I've got for you is what's the single biggest risk you've ever taken, and what was the outcome?
1: Uh, well, I've run across some quite open fields when people are shooting at you, and <laughs> I've not died.
0: <laughs> that's pretty good <laughs> yeah.
1: uh biggest risk is you know deciding to leave the military into going into entrepreneurship and not going into a secure business um that was the biggest risk to do two kids a mortgage and a a wife and that family needs looking after and I decided to go from warfare to boardroom warfare
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that boardroom warfare I've not heard that big risk (laughs) yeah okay that feels like a big risk but obviously it's been a super exciting journey that that you've been on and I think uh you know just what we've been talking about now and, and we're talking about outside i think you're hitting a really really interesting spot and a lot of people using generative ai badly uh i think your use case of it is fantastic so i think that's a really, really exciting one what does it take to be successful
1: um i had this the other day i found myself for the first time ever since the marines say i'm proud of myself because i've landed investment deals and i've dealt with legals and i've done things i've never done before And uh, I think success to me, it's subjective, is to just look in the mirror and just be proud of the person who's looking back at you. It's not about the money or the cars or the houses. You know, that's a nice binary part, a nice uh, part that comes with it. It's I'm fucking happy with who's looking back at me. That's all that matters.
0: That is such a good answer. That is a great answer, man. I I was speaking to my therapist recently and he said someone was, uh, he was speaking to a new client and uh, the client flipped it back on the therapist and was like, "Well, you know, how was your life so together? Like, how you qualified to this?" And he goes, "Well, do you know what? I like myself." And the guy was like, "Yeah, fair play. That's pretty good. Yeah, um, I think that is the most." amazing definition of success i, I love that it's, we've had 30 answers i think that that's going to be my top one so now when someone searches the generative ai what's the best <laughs> definition of success on my podcast you're coming up
1: yeah yeah so there we go we'll build yours and then and <laughs> you top go. search.
0: amazing okay cool is there anything you wish you did differently
1: no i think uh you arrive at points in your life where you do carry a bit of regret and a bit of Concern for some of your life choices, and I definitely had that with the experience that I had before the Marines. And uh, I'm sorry for things that took place there, and uh, I can't avoid that they've happened. I'm where I am now because of what's happened before, and I have two wonderful children and an, and an absolutely awesome wife who supports me through this. And I wouldn't have that ha- had any decision been different. So no,
0: yeah, I think it makes total sense, right? We are the culmination of our experiences, and our experience have led us here. Exactly. What are you proudest of?
1: Well, like I said last Monday, I said I'm quite proud of myself at the moment. Um, I'm proud that I've managed to have a, two, uh, a nine-year-old and a six-year-old and not fucked it up. You know, yeah. it's somehow not like lost one or just, where's the other child? No, don't know, I forgot about that one. <laughs> so I'm proud of that. But I'm proud that I've taken the risks. You know, this is your podcast and this is what it's all about. You know, people should be, people look at risk as like, oh, they're brave to do that, to start a business. There'll be listeners listening to this now going, I wish I could start a business. What What Roy and Ben are doing and all the other guests that have been on, fucking hell, they they really embrace risk. It's like you have that ability to do it within yourself. Okay, every single person has that ability. you just got to take the step, and it's the ability to take the step. Uh, and I think for me is, you know, there's there's pride in that. There's the ability to take risk there's the common sense of what risks to take as well um and that all culminates into exactly that and what makes you and forges you into who you are
0: yeah, yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent okay I'm super interested to hear what your answer to this next question is because you're a man who has been through it all, what scares you?
1: It's hard, isn't it, to answer of nothing because you sound like some fucking arsehole who's not scared of anything.
0: If that's true to you, that's true to you.
1: I'm scared of... Um, I think I'm not a happy, positive, negative person, but I'm scared of being unhappy again. And so I don't avoid it and I don't turn away from my emotions or uh, turn my back on anything like that. But I do always have in the back of my mind there could be a time when you feel really low. And it's about being aware of when you feel low and feel really shit and down and out. I don't want to fucking do this anymore. I just want a normal job. The amount of times I've said to myself on this tech startup journey, I just want to be a postman. And then he dropped is always when you say that to yourself, he always posts something through the door and you're like, fuck, that looked easy. Um part of my dog's biting his hand, bless them. But uh I think fear to me, you know, fear scared, being scared is linked to fear. And mm-hmm. if you can overcome how you react to fear. You should never run away from your fears. You should embrace your fears and you should run with them. I think people are always, you know, overcome them or, or drive through them or get around them. There's no go with them. Your fear is giving you uh, a response that you didn't have in your comfort zone. It's making you sharper. It's making you wiser. It's making you think. It's making you look in different areas you wouldn't normally look in. And that's taught you in the military. It's like that fear is an animal prim- primordial instinct that's built within us to be able to look to survive. You need that. And so then being scared of a situation is not like, oh, fuck, what's going on? My knees are shaking. Mm. It's being able to understand uh, my adrenaline is at its height right now, but that's making me sharper. What am I looking for? What's my body telling me? And so it's not to be scared of a situation. It's to be able to understand your fears and work with those so you can then flourish on the other side of them. And that's why I'm, I don't scare much. Like course so there's the classic answers that i'm a parent i'm scared that my kids could get ill or injured sure, or horrible yeah. things like that
0: but you know in normality try not to be scared of anything that's awesome it's a uh, uh, amazing mindset that i've not come across before but the idea of run with the fear mm. don't cut through run with mm. that's uh that's great fear is your ally it's
1: always looked as your enemy fear is your ally and um and you know I know we, we haven't got long left but I could spend all day talking about this. You're only born with two fears, you know. Having kids, they they test these fears, and they're tested in reactions and it's the startle reflex. They test for noise, so the nurse clicks around the child's ears and see if it flinches, and then they they simulate dropping and and they flinch. And it's it's believed there's a lot of research around this that they are the only two fears we're built with because we can't do anything. We we just. We depend on our mother or our father around yeah. us; We're just a ball of flesh whining. you know <laughs> that's how my kids came in, um one louder than the other. but these are our fears, but then, along the way on our journey of life, we pick up all these other things that we bring in as fear. Go back to public mm. speaking. Why do what is thirty one on your team thirty five on your team? yeah, most of those will hate standing up in front of people and yes. talking. But that's not that they were born with that fear. No one comes out of the womb and goes, I am fucking shit myself about talking to people. Because every two-year-old in the world when you meet him is like, "Ah!" So true. You learn through school that if you open your mouth at the wrong time, someone will call you a dickhead. So true. And then your adrenal response goes, Physically, you feel like a dickhead. Don't do that again. Wow. So then you lock that away and you won't talk in that particular way or you'll feel fear. And you think fear is a bad thing because Roy's asked you to stand up and talk in front of everyone. So your adrenaline response, you want to have a shit and you need a piss and you're shaking. This doesn't feel good. It's like, that's a great response. But over time, you've trained yourself to be a negative response. Yeah, to have a response response.
0: to the wrong wrong, uh, stimulus. Exactly. And that's then
1: attributed as fear. And then you want to run away from that. And then you don't progress towards Mm. that direction. And it's about trying to overcome that way of thinking that. You become unstoppable because you've learned how you're responding.
0: Yes. Yes, that's it. Mate, amazing. Amazing. Okay, my last one, although we could have done this for 10 hours, my last one is 15-year-old Ben walks in the room right now. (laughs) What are you telling him?
1: Get out. (laughs) (laughs) He's a good guy. 15 years old, he was just going off the path. And um, I uh, I would say to him, you do need to turn a different direction. Things are going to go wrong for the next couple of years. But to believe in yourself, and I think it it does sound cliche and everyone says believe in yourself. I think most people who would talk to their younger self, believe in yourself, you can do it. But just from my journey in life so far to my mid-30s, it's all come from belief. I believe I will pass the test. I believe I'll become a commando. I believe I will build my business to an exit. I believe my family will be safe and well. And I just want that 15 year old who who had no belief in themselves whatsoever, because I'm talking to many people with that mindset right now. You don't believe in yourself. You'll distract yourself with drugs. You'll distract yourself with alcohol. These these different things. You don't need to think like that. You think with belief and courage that you can achieve what you believe you can achieve. And that's what I would tell him if he walked into now.
0: Ben, you're a legend. What do you want to plug?
1: everything (laughs) go for
0: it where can we find you where can we find you
1: linkedin most active on linkedin ben williams on linkedin um you can download or buy my book commander mindset uh or you can visit let's com to find out what we're doing or coaching.letsloopin.com, which is where we're building our ai stuff um connect with me let's have conversations and um i'm bumbling because there was one thing i was told to fit in (laughs) Lift music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what,
0: what I think. Is that, your, is that the new album? Yeah, this is a, a good yeah.
1: one. Yeah. Um, oh, that was
0: my email address. Yes. Okay, good. Fucking
1: us Ben at So come and have a chat.
0: You're a legend. Thank you so much, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.